0: Tim and Karen, how great is our God? Just easy to worship. Um, I, I remember years ago I, I saw a video on YouTube. I can't even remember where it was, but it involved people singing that song in many languages together. Of course, they start out in English, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool in heaven? Regardless of what tongue we think we're singing, it'll be tongue of the Lamb. Because we'll we'll be worshiping Him together. And of course, that was the beauty at Pentecost. They spoke differently, but they said the same thing, and it was understood. Uh, but this morning, we continue on uh, as we look at portraits of the Antichrist. We're in Revelation chapter 12. And uh, this series will focus on chapters 12 and 13 of Revelation. As we look at a portrait... ...of the Antichrist, specifically the devil himself... ...as we get some more biographical information on our enemy. I encourage you to open your scriptures... ...if you haven't yet, to Revelation 12. And if you'll stand in God's honor as I read aloud... ...verses 7 through 10 is our focal passage. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon... And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth. And his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say. Now come the, have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. And the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers. Who accuses them before our God. Day and night. Has been hurled down. Let's pray. Father we are here. To worship you. To agree how great is our God. I pray father that this morning. As we continue to worship you. Through your word. Open our hearts. Holy Spirit unless you speak to us. We can't understand. Father, it's. I want to please you. I want to do my best, Father. But the truth is, unless the Holy Spirit teaches us, we can't learn. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Continue to speak to us, Lord. May we leave here lifting up the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. There are those out there who believe the devil is a fairy tale or a myth, something someone made up. Some picture him, a little short guy in a red suit, and carries a pitchfork and jabbing people all the time. And then there are the others on the opposite extreme that think heaven shakes and quivers when the devil does his evil business, that there's a constant worry that the devil's going to overthrow God himself. Those extremes are wrong. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters that featured a devil who was teaching his nephew, a young demon, how to keep people away from following the living God, from discovering the mercies and forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives some advice in the book. Uh, One section of the book, Lewis writes uh, through his character Screwtape, Keep alive the modern imagination that demons are comic figures and red (laughs) tights. So the liberal scholars and academic circles view the biblical exposure of the fallen demonic world as a a lot of make-believe. Vance Havner, the witty evangelist, uh, once wrote, If the devil came to town in a body, you would not find him in a nightclub or a casino. You would most likely find him in some pulpit drawing a salary while denying his existence. I read about one minister who um, was preaching about Jonah, and he said when the scriptures say that Jonah was in the belly of the great big fish, it didn't mean he was in the belly of the well. It meant he was nearby or close to the belly of the well. And so, anyway, after the sermon of one person in the congregation came up to this minister and said, well, you cleared up a lot for me through that message of what I didn't understand. He he said, um, so Jonah really wasn't in the belly of that big fish. And Daniel, when he was in the lion's den, he uh, really wasn't trapped inside that coliseum with a bunch of lions. He was just close and nearby, or those three young Hebrews that were in the fiery furnace, weren't really in the fiery furnace. They were just close or nearby that fiery furnace. And it really helped me because, you know, I don't believe the gospel. And when you talk about people going to hell, it just means I I won't go to hell. I won't be in hell. I, I might be close or nearby. To which Uncle Screwtape would say, yeah, you got it. The devil is very real. And he is alive and he is at work. And in our text, as we go through Revelation 12 and 13, as we see his evil work, his opposition to Christ, antichrist, and opposing Christ and the work of Christ, we see a picture of him. Matter of fact, if you go through the scriptures, you see that the devil has a twofold strategy. First strategy is at all possible to hinder God's rule on the earth. That's what he wants to do. He wants God's plans to be thwarted, to be overcome, to be defeated. Or his second strategy, too, is to harm the believer's security in heaven. He wants us who belong to God through the Lord Jesus Christ to forget who we are and whose we are. He wants us to forget that we have been saved and that God has forgiven us completely and fully. Matter of fact, theologically, Satan's already been defeated. He was defeated, at the cross, and Ephesians two six it says that we are seated in the heavenly realms, positionally with Christ. We're already saved. We're already forgiven. We're already His. Practically, though, Satan is still around. The Bible says that he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And to devour, literally, you could also say it means to discredit. In, in other words, he's looking around seeing whose testimony he can destroy. He's looking around seeing whose influence he can take away. Because more than anything, He wants to keep people from their Creator, from their Savior, from their Sustainer. Theologically, the believer is sinless before God. We are hidden in Jesus Christ when we come to forgiveness in Him, when we come to His family, when we receive Him through Christ Jesus. However, practically, there's the challenge of we don't live in the family to which we belong. Sometimes we don't look like a child of God. We look like we don't belong to His family. Uh, We struggle with lust of the flesh. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, it talks about this battle and how there's this plea to transform our minds, to follow Christ and to not walk in the sinful lust. We can also move to the sidelines. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 1558, that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. That we shouldn't just watch, we should be a part of His kingdom work. We, we should follow Him and share forth His truth. And that the believer can, the truth is, fall prey to temptation. That's why Jesus says, deliver us from evil. Or some translations say, deliver us from the evil one. Father, keep us close to You. You see, there's this battle. Even though we've already been delivered, we still daily need His deliverance and His forgiveness and His guidance. You see, um, although Satan was defeated at the cross, his sentence has not been carried out yet. He's like a criminal who got bail and he's roaming around and he's not yet in the prison to which he deserves. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, it talks about him being temporarily incarcerated in the abyss. But then in 20, verse 10, it tells us that he will permanently one day be placed there in hell. And by the way, he's not there at the moment. But he will one day be placed there. Let me tell you something. When he gets placed there, he's not going to be the keeper of hell. He's not going to be the one who rules the roost down there he's not going to be the manager he's not going to be torturing everybody else he's going to be under maximum security because it's the place that he deserves not the place he runs the place of the judgment that he will experience heard about a bumper sticker guy saw as he was looking at a car that was just covered in bumper stickers and the top of the bumper sticker had been scratched out but on the bottom of the bumper sticker he read these words He died in A.D. 33. Get over it. That's the mindset of the devil. Of the enemy. Man, never get over the one who loved you so much he died for you. The one who set you free and gave you a new hope. As we went through our text last week, as we started chapter 12, and looked at those first six verses, we saw the different... Signs and the meaning uh, in verse one and two, it tells us that there's a great and wondrous sign which appeared in heaven, and we describe that woman clothed with the sun as Israel, and then we, as it descriptive, the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head, and, and then the one whom she was pregnant with and felt the pain with of birth and gave birth to was the Messiah our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3, we're introduced to the red, red dragon, which is our enemy, which we are going to look at further today. Then you go on in verse 3, and it talks about the ten-nation confederacy, which we used to fight against God in those end times. In verse 4, we're reminded of how Satan fell from heaven because he, as we said in the place I grew up, got too big for his breeches. And it wanted to take God's rightful place and thus was thrust out of heaven. In verse 5, we read about how his desire was to destroy the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, we read about his pursuit of torturing and pursuing and persecuting God's people. And thus we read verse 6, "...the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God." where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days or three and a half years. In verses 13 and 14, we see some more clarity. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Which is a way of speaking of that three and a half year time. Uh, In just some names through this passage of scripture for our enemy. Verse 3, he's described as the red dragon, which we talked about was a picture of bloodlust. How he's the destroyer. And how he wants to destroy what is good and of God. In verse 9, he's described of as that serpent of old. The ancient serpent called the devil. That Greek word, archaos. No one likes to be called old. Or looked at as ancient. Or as past as prime. And so in a real sense here, as John is receiving... The revelation from God. He's thinking about that old devil. And he says he's just an old snake. And he is. Just an old archaic snake. He just can't resist it. (laughs) Later in verse 9 he refers to him. As Satan. Or the devil which. Means to defame. And to slander. And that is his heart. He wants to defame the living God. He wants to slander His name. He wants to turn people against God and trusting God and and bringing in doubts and forgetting about God's kindness and His mercy and His blessings that He has poured out so abundantly upon all of us. Someone has said, the devil wants to destroy the church. He doesn't do it from the outside. He becomes a member. <laughs> he joins and he comes in and he brings that slander and that destructiveness. In Acts 20, verse 29, Paul gives a warning to the church at Ephesus about those who might rise up from within and harm the flock. You see, he, he's a slander and he brings divisiveness. Another name... He is called the opposer. He is called the adversary. He is the one who stands against God. He is the one who stands against God's people. And then finally, in verse 10, he is referred to as the accuser. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. And the truth of the matter is, as I've said so frequently, we're all just a mess. I mean, let's just get honest about it. It scares me to death when I hear a Christian talking about how holy I am. Man, it's a struggle. I want to walk with God, but sometimes I just do the dumbest things. There are times where the enemy attacks me. And he plays these tapes in my head, something I might have done a couple of years ago. And i think, why did you do that? Thought That was so dumb. Aren't you grateful that he says that when we come to God with this stuff, <laughs> that he removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west? In the book of Micah, he basically says, don't go fishing down there anymore because I put them in the depths of the sea. But he is the accuser. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, we're told, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, the seal of salvation, who is given us as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. His redemption. He bought us back. That's the cross. Uh, Charles Wesley wrote these beautiful words that we see. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ. My own. Now, as we look at verses 7 through 8, we see a, a future battle. Some want to talk about this battle Uh, The significance of it was one at Calvary, and yes, it is true, at Calvary, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, died for our sins. As the suffering servant, he is now the coming king who will return. But this is not just a picture of when the devil was first thrust out of heaven with a third of the angels, but it's talking about a coming battle in verses 7 through 8 where he will be ultimately defeated. Notice the text, he says... And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. There was a battle. But that old snake was not strong enough to win in glory. And thus he was defeated. Now... Michael, who is Michael who is mentioned in this text? And then secondly, when the battle take place, the name Michael literally means who is like God? A great name. Everyone here might be Michael. You can just Michael, how did you get your name? We just keep thinking about it. who is like God? That's a great testimony. Who is like God? Well that, that was his name, the one that God chose for this mighty angel. Who is like God. In Daniel chapter 12, he is described in the first verse as the protector, the prince of God's people. The great prince who protects your people will arise. And in chapter 10, there is a description of him and a description of Daniel who is fervently praying Because he wants insight into a spiritual battle that will come in the end times. I want to pick it up at Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. 21 days of not being able to come is there was a spiritual battle that culminated in those 21 days before... Uh, this angel came and appeared and gave this truth of the coming battle. Uh, Just a couple of truths to draw out from this passage. First, conflict between angels and demons is a reality. There is a battle that rages around us that these five senses we use cannot detect. And it's constantly happening around us. Secondly, demons make a habit of losing Because they're not the most powerful ones. Thirdly, this battle involved two angels and a demon, but it did not include Daniel. Daniel prayed. Daniel didn't get in the middle, though, of trying to conquer demons through his strength or his spiritual ability or his righteousness. Instead, as he prayed fervently and submitted his life to God, God sent his angels to do that battle with this demon and to bring forth the truth, the victory. It's just a reminder that our power, our strength is not in conquering the devil, in tripping him up or binding him or taking control of him. Our strength is in turning to our God to do that work. Matter of fact, Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes. Where is our power? It's in the gospel. It's in that message of the gospel that we are sinners, but there is hope. There is a Savior who has come to set us free. And He died on the cross, but He didn't stay in the grave. He came back from the grave. He is the living resurrected Christ who is ascended and beside the father and he prays for us he intercedes for us that's our power it's in the gospel the power that we have it's not our strength it's Jesus and what he's accomplished our clear commission is not to go out and control demons but to go and make disciples disciples we are commanded not to pray for more angels to be before us. We're commanded to pray for more labors because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. <laughs> We're in a spiritual battle. And the devil is organized. And he's had time to watch. And he's cunning. And he's devious. But he's no match for God. He is no match. Um, matter of fact, consider as you look at the end times it only takes one unnamed angel to cast satan down and lock him up we make him out to be god's equal that he has as much power and strength as our god but he doesn't he doesn't our god is much more powerful now when the battle take place uh, notice verse 13 again in revelation 12 what we learn When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. He pursued the Jewish people. He pursued the Hebrews. Says, the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time. Times and a half of time out of the serpent's reach. As the Scripture speaks again about Satan's defeat. As we look through those first six verses, we see reference to Israel and how Israel's seed was the Messiah and how the devil sought to defeat that Messiah, but he was unable to, and the Messiah's victorious. Job was one of the first, if not the first, to be accused, but he was not the last. We have an accuser who is accusing us day and night, as we read in Revelation 12.10. And those invisible forces are constantly against us, reminding us of the fact that we are not worth it. Reminding us of the fact that we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve grace. And he's constantly shouting those criticisms and attacks toward us. Which makes me love verse 10. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. Why? Because this is talking about when that old devil is finally going to be shut up. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Don't you love it? When it comes to that day where God gives the command, shut him up. And that's it. (laughs) Then all we hear is our God and His victory that He has won for us. Those lingering uh, uh, accusations will fade. And we'll be reminded as it says in Romans eight thirty four. Who is he that condemns us? Christ, who died, who's raised to life, and is now interceding for us. That memory will be vivid as we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. At that time as the the devil and his angels are defeated Christ won't really even have to utter a word. All He has to do is stand with the scars that speak far louder than any words. The scars that brought victory to us. Him I quoted earlier from Charles Wesley. He added a stanza after it was first published. Here are the words, He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me? Is says it all. Amazing love. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, as we have taken time to look at your word concerning the enemy of God, all how he opposes, how he's the adversary, how he's the accuser. Father, how, how he's constantly fighting against, Lord, your will accomplished here on earth. And, Father, our security that's true in heaven and, and yet, Father, one day, Lord, he will be hurled down into a place, a prison, where he can no longer accuse, where he will no longer be that devil that prowls around looking to pounce upon us. Thank you for that victory that is sure, Lord. And, Father, may we remember that through Jesus we are victors. And I pray this morning, if there is anyone here, Lord, who has never trusted you, who has never said, I need the forgiveness and mercy in new life that only God can bring. Well, it is in Jesus, and what a great time it would be today to trust Jesus. Your word says that today is the day of salvation. I just pray that's true now. Do a work in us, Lord, that you might do a work through us, that you might be blessed. Uh, Lord, At this altar, if anyone needs to come and pray, what a great time to do that as we prepare to stand and sing and follow you. Uh, Lord, lead people to pray at the altar. Lead people to make a decision where they are. Holy Spirit, you work. You touch hearts for decisions, Lord. I'm not into trying to manipulate. I I just want you to move. And so may you do that. Uh, If there's decisions we need to make publicly, before your people that you're doing in us. Father, may that happen. We just trust you as we stand, as we sing. May we just do it all for you. In Christ's name we pray.